Um, And it's from a favorite book of mine, and so you may already be turning your pages to Philippians. Um, I want to talk about the Apostle Paul. Um, During the time he writes this letter of Philippians, he's already been preaching and teaching the gospel for some 26 years since his conversion in Acts chapter 9. Um, During that time, uh, he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and talks about some of the things that he's been through during his life, during this time of traveling, uh, teaching, and preaching to all these different churches. He says in 2 Corinthians 11 that five times he's received from the Jews 39 lashes. Uh, Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. Uh, One night and a day he spent stranded at sea uh, on frequent journeys in dangers of rivers, dangers of robbers, dangers of his countrymen, dangers among the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brethren. Uh, He has been in labor, in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in cold and hunger, often fasting, in cold and exposure. And he says in the final verse, apart from such things, such external things, there is the constant pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Uh, During these times of traveling, Paul has uh, been teaching the gospel of Christ and beginning uh, planting churches in over 40 cities stretching across a thousand miles during these 26 years that he's been preaching. So with a list like this, you can see how difficult his life has been, um, how much God has turned his life upside down. And looking from this list, you may not say that this is a very good thing, but in Philippians... Turn to Philippians chapter 1. In this letter, there's a few qualities that I want us to look at. This letter is so full of excitement, of love for the brethren, and of joy. In this single letter, he mentions the words joy and rejoicing 16 to 18 times in this short letter. And so the, the reason for this I want to look into because if you showed anyone the list that I showed you previously they would not think that someone like this would write a letter so full of joy and excitement so we're going to be looking into how and that lesson is in Philippians chapter 1 in this chapter we're going to go through several different scenarios of things that's going on with Paul and the way he handles them Um, so we're going to be going through Uh, First off, his circumstances, where he's at, what's happening around him. Um, And then the next one is ways that that can be bad. Now this one, we're going to be really fast to jump to all the bad things that happen to this. Um, Because that's just the way our brains are wired. We are are so quick to feel sorry for ourselves, to get hit with, with difficult situations, and we instantly think that it's something that's horrible and that it's bad. But Paul twists these things and uses them for good. 
And so that's the, the things that I wanted to look at in this chapter. The first section is in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in, er, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everywhere else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord more because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Okay, so, so where is he at? He is in prison in Rome right now. Um, he is waiting to be tried because he appealed to Caesar because of a riot where they were about to kill him. So obviously the things that can be bad out of this is that the gospel is incarcerated. It is, it is no longer able to spread through the mouth of Paul. Paul is an evangelist. He is somebody who travels. That is, that is just what he has always been doing. Um, anytime that he stays in a place, it's to be able to help the brethren there until there is a greater need for him to move somewhere else. And so that's the way Paul operates. And now he's in prison. So he's no longer able to travel around to be able to spread the gospel. He can't visit the other churches that he has helped plant and start and stir up and strengthen. He's not able to, in, to do all of this because he's in prison. Um, but what does Paul say about this circumstance? He says that it has become for the greater progress of the gospel so that the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole palace guard and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord more because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear now I want to I look at a little bit in the context of, of where Paul is so he's in Rome right he's appealed to Caesar the Caesar ruling during this time is Caesar Nero Nero is not a good guy Nero is a wicked and evil man. He hated Christians. He, is the, he, he burnt Rome down to the ground and then blamed the Christians for it. He was the one who first took Christians and would put them in coliseums full of hungry lions. Um, he is an evil man who would burn Christians on stakes in his garden for light. Um, this is the kind of insane, wicked man that is leaped or that is ruling Rome right now. And yet what it's saying in this passage is that the cause of Christ has been well known throughout the whole palace guard. You imagine someone in Caesar's palace believing in Christ and becoming converted when he has seen firsthand what this man does to Christians. And yet, when they come to the knowledge of truth, of the gospel, they decide they must take that risk. It is too great an opportunity for forgiveness to have that life to be able to, to give up or yield because of the risk from Caesar Nero. And he says that, that the gospel is spreading throughout the palace of Rome. And so you think of, of Paul being in prison, right? So he's in prison, and oftentimes in house arrest, you would be shackled to a guard. And obviously you would think this would be bad. 
But Paul sees that as an opportunity. He says, I have a captive audience. So you know what Paul's going to be talking about. He's going to be talking about Jesus. He's going to be talking about God and the way that, that God is able to change the life of everyone. He uses these opportunities. And what this guard is doing is he's telling his other guards, say, hey, have you heard about Paul? You heard about why he's in prison? How, how far he's willing to go for this Jesus guy? And so he's, there, it's spreading throughout the whole palace. And then in Philippians chapter 4, in the very end of the letter, he's sending greetings to the Philippians. And he says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. There are people in Caesar's own household who are Christians, who are faithful, and who are eager to hear about the faith of the Philippians, and they are sending their greetings to the Philippians. And yet they're in the house of a murderer who would kill them if he knew of their faith. So this is the kind of faith that Paul has to be able to use the opportunities that's, that's around him that would be seen for bad, and he uses them for good. And so you think of all the people that Paul has influence of, who, who Paul's writing letters to and talking to and hearing all these great things and how good uh, this imprisonment has actually been for the gospel. And so what's their reaction? They have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Because what's the worst that can happen? They take away your life and you are with Christ. They're able to see Paul's zeal, Paul's focus, Paul's uh, attitude and they're able to realize the truth about Christ and what Christ is able to do. And so they have more courage to speak up. The second lesson is in verse 15 through 18. What happens in this section, in verse 15, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So what's happening here? You get these men who are preaching Christ, which is good, but they're preaching Christ out of envy and strife, out of selfish ambition, hoping to cause Paul distress. Obviously, this is not good. People are preaching Christ with wrong motives. Um, they're preaching Christ to hurt Paul while he's already in prison. I mean, he's in prison, dude. Give him a break. But no, they're constantly trying to eat at Paul. So you think of what Paul's doing. Is Paul is, is preaching the gospel with everything that he has. And his name's being known, and people are hearing about him because it's encouraging. Well, other people are getting jealous of this. They're hearing about Paul's name being spoken and Paul this and Paul that. And so they get jealous. And they're like, you know what? Fine. All right. Paul, you're going to baptize and you're going to convert 50 people. I'm going to convert 100 people. I'm going to be better than you. And he's, they're, they're making this a big competition out of evil motives. And what's Paul's response? In verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, 
whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. The gospel is spreading. And this is his reason for joy. He is rejoicing in this. The gospel is proclaimed. That is Paul's fundamental and strongest desire in his life. And yet people are doing it. So in this, he'll rejoice, even if it is in the wrong motives, even if it is for, for the, them trying to hurt Paul personally. The gospel will shine through in truth, even through a twisted mouth. So when we're speaking things uh, with evil motives, those who are listening to these preachers, these teachers of evil motives, they're still hearing about Christ. And they're still able to, to learn and come to that relationship and that blessing. The next lesson starts in verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh this will mean fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul is waiting to be tried in Rome. And death is a very real possibility for him. That is something that is very likely for him to be sentenced to. And obviously the bad in this is that Paul dies. Uh, all the influence that Paul has on all these churches that he's, he's started and encouraged will stop. How does Paul look at this? He says, to die is gain. Because if he dies, he gets to go and be with Christ. And he says, that is better by far. His work can be over and he can finally be at rest. Now Paul's Faith and conviction gave him such an excitement and a joy because he truly believed in heaven. And I say that in a room full of Christians knowing, yeah, yeah, everybody believes in heaven. I want to challenge that. I believe if we truly believed in heaven the way Paul believes in heaven, it would stir up in us an excitement and a zeal that would not be 
an afterthought around an occasion where someone is passing away. It is not a thought that comes to our mind at the end of our life. It is a conviction and a constant reminder of how we live our every single day. This excitement, he longed for heaven so much because he truly loved God. He wanted to be with God. God became his life. Every aspect of everything that Paul did was because he loved God and he wanted to please God. He wanted to bring God joy. And this desire in him created another struggle that he had to overcome that I don't think a lot of us have really had to face. In the same section, a struggle that he is talking about is that he may have to keep on living. Now we normally would think of this as a good thing. But that's where this true faith is coming in to where this may become a struggle. Because we want heaven so much more that living can be a burden. It's continuous work, anxiety, his care for all of the churches, thousands of souls. Because it's so real to Paul. When he looks around in Walmart, he doesn't see a bunch of people just shopping. He sees lost souls. Souls that in the end of their life, they're either going to be faced with eternity in heaven or an eternity burning in hell. And that terrified him because he loved people. There's a possibility that Paul feared so much that in his life, in any small aspect of his life, he might not give God complete glory. He calls this his shame. He says in verse 19 and 20, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provisions in the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Christ must be exalted. He must be built up. And so he sees God's plan. He, he calls this his deliverance from shame. Because he wants God's will to be done and for his life to bring out the glory that God has. To live on is more fruitful. It's more necessary for the growth of the church. So he feels conflict. He's, he feels like he's being torn in both directions because what he wants is to go and be with Christ. But he understands God's plan. God's plan is for him to remain and to build up the church. Verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. 
Paul's hope in the last part of this chapter is that we would conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I want us to realize what Paul is saying here. To act in a way that is worthy of a gift that God has given us that we cannot be worthy of. Paul wants us to take it seriously. Paul wants us to to remember how real this is and to stand in unity with one another against a common enemy. He says in verse 27 that we would stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponent which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too from God. I think of, when I, when I see this, a picture of unity. I, feel, I, I, see, I see a football team banding arms together and, and facing them. And when they are unified, when they're really linking arms and pushing with everything they have, What chance does the enemy have? Because we're unified through God. Now he says in the last two verses, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. I love that wording. I think it's, I think it's interesting. To you it has been granted. I think of the, the idea of being of a gift being granted to somebody. This is, this is a blessing that I'm giving to you that you're not only going to believe in Christ, but you're going to suffer. And he says in verse 30, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. These issues that Paul is talking about are the same issues that are going to face Christians. And so what Paul's saying is you're going to be battling these difficult situations the same as I do. So handle them in the way that I have. We need to stop thinking of ourselves so much. Things happen in our lives all the time that that catch us off guard and... We just get so overwhelmed because we, our automatic uh, reaction to that is saying, woe is me, things are so hard on me, and it's difficult on me. We need to get out. We need to, reen- to rethink about what is truly important. We need to put our true focus on how we can bring God glory in our lives and in the circumstances we find ourselves in. We need more faith in God's purpose. God has a purpose. God has a plan for each of us. We need to be willing to, get, to let go of our own wants and desires to be able to allow God to work in us. And we need more unity. 
We need more unity among the Christians. More love for one another. Not just those who are around us, but everyone. And especially those within our realm of influence, who we can help, whom we can strengthen and encourage. And we need more purpose in the way we live our daily life. We need to stop living just to get through today. We need to be able to live to bring God glory today, to exalt God more. So this is my favorite lesson from Philippians. I hope it's been able to encourage you and help you as much as it has helped me. I hope that we are able to humble ourselves and be able to think of God more in our lives and to be less selfish. We're about to sing a song and if anyone has need uh, to answer this gospel, to, to respond to the invitation of Christ, we're about to sing song number 679. Come forward when we stand and give your life to Christ. Realize that He needs to take over everything as we stand and sing.